This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. TIAA is on a mission. Why? Because 54% of Black Americans don't have enough savings to retire. So in collaboration with big name artists like Wyclef Jean, TIAA released Paper Right. New music inspiring a new financial future. With 100% of streaming sales going to a nonprofit that teaches students how to invest. Stream Paper Right now and help close the gap. When Cynthia came to TurboTax, she had just launched her new side gig, a true crime podcast. I'm a first-rate detective with a golden voice. As her TurboTax expert, I made her second income count by guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and her maximum refund. <clears throat> what did she do with that refund? Find out next week. Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. www.brfcs.com By the fans For the fans Since 1996 Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 50 I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor It's been three weeks since our last podcast when we had Oz and Ewood Dawn from the Rovers Trust on to talk about the launch of the Trust at Blackburn Cathedral. Since then, the launch has taken place and BRAFCS covered the event in a live internet radio broadcast. Action on the field has included local derbies against Bolton and Burnley, while last night saw the Rovers slump to a 4-1 defeat down at Ewood against league leaders Cardiff City. Off the field, the club's accounts from the year ending 30th June of this year are finally out, There's been discussion of this on the message board, and on Thursday the Lancashire Telegraph published a few figures from the accounts. We'll be looking at the figures in detail, and so we welcome financial expert Philip L. from the BRFCS message board onto today's podcast. Also with us in the virtual studio is Chief Reporter Cammy, who's back with us after a short break. Uh, He's been busy for the last few weekends covering the cricket. So I'd just like to welcome Cammy and Philip Ellen. Uh, Cammy, how are you? I'm fine, Ren. I believe the uh, earth was moving for people in Japan uh, yesterday. Yep, uh, there was a, a magnitude 7.3 quake that hit uh, just off the northeast coast of Japan. Uh, it's uh, about 500 kilometres to the east of the uh, uh, March 2011 major earthquake. Um it was a major shake, but uh, very little damage. Um, right. There's uh, 
lots of scared people around uh, in the east of Japan, but um, fortunately the uh, uh, the damage is uh, minimal. Good, good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there was a tsunami alert as well. Did a tsunami actually hit? Or yes, uh, there was uh, something like a twenty, thirty centimeter tsunami that hit fairly soon, and then a short while later, uh, the second wave hit. Uh, that was about a meter, um, right. but uh, yeah, there were there were no issues with that, fortunately. Yeah. yeah. Over in Blackburn, uh, you've been pretty busy out here recently. Yeah, yeah, with the uh, England-India cricket series on, uh, I've been been busy with that. Um, uh, and to be honest, it's been a bit of a relief to take uh, mind off footballing matters, <laughs> which uh, haven't been as good. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Well, we'll be uh, looking at those in a moment. Just uh, welcome Philip in. Uh, how are you doing, Philip? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, I was actually online uh, with a friend in Tokyo as the earthquake was happening yesterday morning, right. and he was pretty scared by it all. Um, thankfully, uh, obviously, nobody was hurt, and um, it all passed off uh, without too much damage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah, one of the hazards of living out here. But, uh, we'll get on to the football straight away. The... Um, Bolton match we lost at home uh, some two and a half weeks ago and uh, everyone was fearing the worst for the Burnley match. We got uh, a pretty good result uh, at Turf Moor, um, denied victory in the last minute. Uh, and then last night uh, we played Cardiff and by all accounts it was a pretty dire performance, uh, went down 4-1. Uh, let's start off with the Bolton match. Cammy, uh, do you want to start it off? Yeah, um, obviously it was it was it wasn't it was a poor performance to be to be honest. Um, we ended up losing um, two 0 um, Performance wasn't really sorry. We lost two one. Um, apart from the last ten minutes, um, the performance was was all over the place. Uh, um, you know, uh, we played Millwall a few days before, and even though we'd lost that game two nil, uh, the 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 actual performance wasn't too bad. Uh, you know, I came away from that quite positive. Uh, Millwall just hit two wonder goals, and and we we couldn't put our chances away. So, uh, you know, the Millwall game I wasn't too uh, concerned about, but uh, Bolton were far better than us. They were much more organised. Uh, they pushed up and closed us down high up the pitch, and and we couldn't we couldn't cope with it. And um, and and it was only when Kazim Richard came on uh, in the last. 10 minutes that we actually put some pressure on. Uh, Joe Rhodes pulled one back and he could have got an equaliser uh, right at the death. But uh, all told, uh, you know, it was one of the, the the poorest performances that I've seen at Ewood Park uh, in, in a long time. And, and, you know, that's saying something after two years worth of Steve Keane uh, management. Uh, so, so, yeah, it was a, a very, very disappointing performance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you make of it, uh, Philip? Well, well, actually, I didn't uh, go. I didn't uh, see the game. But I mean, uh, by all accounts, uh, uh, it was a very, very depressing performance. And you know, I'm, I'm sort of picking up from people who did go that uh, what on earth went wrong in terms of the setup of the team. It seemed that the there was no game plan. It, it was um, pretty aimless stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, that uh, set us up rather badly for uh, uh, our visit to Turf Moor to play Burnley. Uh, everyone on the message board was pretty worried that we'd be losing our 33-year unbeaten record against uh, Burnley. Uh, Burnley hadn't scored against us at Turf Moor since uh, 1978, I believe. Uh, Peter Noble in the 43rd minute, I think it was. I was I was actually there. Um, now, as was I. Oh, good. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see you there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I, yeah. I remember uh, being fairly close to the, uh, the 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 netting. They had chicken netting and uh, the uh, the barrier up between uh, the the two sets of fans and the long side. It was an interesting experience, oh, shall we Bring yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> dear, oh dear. But, uh, yes, yeah, uh, that, that, that was that was one of the most extraordinary stands I think there ever was, <laughs> uh, um, because uh, the, the the way the noise carried up and down that stand between the two opposing sets of fans mm. in, inside the same stand was quite something. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and other things. Among yeah, among other things. Yeah, and um, yeah, what well, since 1978 they haven't hadn't even scored against us. And it looked like uh, we were going to keep that uh, clean sheet record until the 89th minute, um, rather unfortunately. Um, Philip, you didn't manage the game, but I believe, uh, Cammy, you did. Yeah, you were actually there. What, uh, what was it like along with the other 3,500 Rovers fans? Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, it was a fantastic atmosphere at, at the game. Uh, you know, everyone was right up for it. And, um, um, you know, it was it was. It was, uh, to be honest, the atmosphere at away games has been far better from the Rose fans than it's been at, at home games, and and particularly for this one, you know, Burnley had sold all their tickets. Uh, uh, you know, we we sold all our, all ours. Uh, fantastic atmosphere. Um, so you know, as the game, it was an early kick off, twelve thirty, and normally for these kind of games, when it's so early, uh, the atmosphere is a bit a bit dead. But not this time. Uh, in the lead up to the game, um, I know quite a few Burnley fans, and this is the first time that they've been uh, very confident about winning a game. Uh, so you know they were up for it. Obviously, our fans were up for it. Um, first half was a continuation of of the poor Bolton performance. To be honest, uh, Burnley were all over us, um, and it was two world class saves from uh, Paul Robinson and some fantastic uh, last ditch defending by Hanley and particular Dan who was my man of the match that really kept us in the game um, you know we were poor again in the first half uh, we didn't really have a, a game plan so to speak and we kept giving the ball away and Burnley were pushing forward and it was a bit of a relief to be honest to get in at half time uh, on, on level terms uh, second half um it was much, much better. We stepped it up. Uh, we started closing Burnley down in their own half of the pitch. Uh, Josh King came on uh, and he made a massive difference. Um, and Kazim Richards uh, started getting into the game. Uh, we took the lead uh, from a really good move. We built up from the back, played it for Mika, who put a good ball in the box. And once you get the ball in good areas, with uh, Jordan Rose up there, you're always going to have a good chance of scoring and you know he, he scored with a fantastic header uh, and then we could have gone maybe two or three nil up because uh, he Richards had a good shot um, uh, I think it was Olsen 
cut in from left uh, from left back and had a good shot. So we were looking quite com- com- comfortable and looked like the more likely uh, team to 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 go your two nil up or even further. Uh, but last five minutes we started giving away silly uh, free kicks uh, uh, and and um, you know started dropping deeper and deeper. And it was from one of those silly free kicks. I think it was Vukcevic uh, made a needless challenge. And uh, and and you know they got a free kick. They swung the ball into the box, and the first time really our defenders uh, didn't, weren't marking uh, players. Volks would just come on, uh, was left with a pretty free header, and he 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 sort of glanced it on, and it ended up in the bottom corner. Uh, and actually straight after that, uh, straight from the kickoff almost. Um, Vox had an even easier chance uh, and, and he fluffed that so we could have actually ended up losing the game. But, you know, on reflection, uh, Burnley were far better in the first half. We were much better than in the second half and uh, a draw was was the right result and obviously kept our uh, unbeaten run against them them going, which which was you know very important to everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, coming up to 34 years now, I think. Philip, you managed to see the match uh, live on television, I believe. Yes, I mean, I, I would echo uh, everything which Cammy said. It was just so frustrating that everybody stood there and watched um, the header which equalised. Um, you know, I, I, but um, I don't know. I just, I, I just got a feeling before it went in that uh, we weren't going to hold out. Um, yeah, Burnley were just looking that bit too strong and too fit for us and this has been the problem all season that uh, we simply do not have a fit squad yeah yeah um now up front uh, the top scorer in the league is charlie austin and uh, he was uh, sort of pitted against uh, our own jordan rhodes uh, interestingly charlie austin's favorite all-time player and his hero is apparently uh, alan shearer um I'm not sure whether that would uh, endear him to the uh, Burnley faithful. But uh, uh, Charlie Austin, uh, th- there were some reports saying that uh, Scott Dan had him in his pocket. Uh, did uh, did he look any uh, uh, any threat at all? Uh, no, well, his movement was very good, actually. I was watching quite closely, but... Uh, uh, Dan uh, absolutely marked him out of the game. Uh, they did create chances, but they weren't falling to to Austin because uh, he was so well marked and so well marshalled. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, he, it was quite right for people to say uh, Dan did have him in his in his back pocket for most most of most of the match because he just you know you uh, wasn't in the game, didn't really have any chances, uh, and obviously our Jordan Rose scored uh, the goal and, and he did it. It was meant to be the shootout between the two top strikers uh, in the league, and and um, you know Jordan came on top of on, on that one. Uh, Josh King, uh, he made his debut against Bolton and then he came on against uh, Burnley, caused a lot of problems. Uh, rather interestingly, in podcast 48, uh, Sindra, that's uh, Puffsan on the uh, message board, uh, our uh, Norwegian member, uh, he was uh, actually tipping Josh King as, uh, as being the Norwegian player to watch out for. And uh, a couple of weeks later, and he turns up uh, on loan at the Rovers. It's a pretty good tip there. Uh, how did he look? Uh, yeah, um, he, he's, he's done all right. Um, against Bolton, he was played on more on the wing, and then then he went up front for a little while. Uh, he didn't impress in that game, uh, so he was dropped 
uh, to the bench against Burnley. Uh, but when he came on, his pace uh, really did cause them uh, quite a lot of problems. They didn't know. He's very direct. Uh, I think he obviously needs you know, a bit more experience because he does make some rash uh, decisions. But he's very, very direct. Um, and you know, I know we're going to come on to the card game. But again, yesterday, he played up front in the first half. Uh, didn't look too good to be honest when he was playing up front. Um, he, he, you know, the ball, the ball was played up to him quite a lot, and he wasn't holding it. I don't think that's his game, but he switched uh, to the left hand side in the second half, and then uh, he looked much better. Obviously, he got the the equaliser for us yesterday, and and uh, looked much better out wide. So I wouldn't say he's a striker. Um, I think he's more of a of a of a wide player uh, and his pace, it does frighten teams. Um, so, yeah, he, he looked all right uh, in the two halves, really. Second half against Burnley when he was playing wide and then yesterday when he went uh, in the second half to the left-hand side, he, he looked much better. Uh, just to round up Burnley, Parson Blue was saying that uh, it took him uh, eight hours, basically, to uh, get to the match and back um, for a, basically a 20-minute drive away from Blackburn. Um, you enjoyed the the day as a whole, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 unfortunate that these measures have to be taken, and uh, it was organised as best that it could. Really, uh, you know, people were setting off ridiculous times. You know, half nine, uh, and then stuck in coaches, and then stuck in uh, you know queues, and then the same on the way home. You know. Uh, uh, you know, people didn't. The last coaches I think got back about five o'clock or something stupid like that, half five. So yeah, uh, it, it it's it is farcical really uh, that we have to 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 do things this way. But then it does ensure the uh, that the potential for any trouble is is vastly reduced. That's yeah, pretty sad, isn't it? Huh? Well, it is. You know, uh, uh, but you know, then when you look at the youth cup game. Uh, and and there was certain trouble at railway stations, etc. Uh, so you know you, you've got to take that into account that they take these decronial measures because uh, it's at times very difficult uh, to ensure that there's no trouble. Yeah, yeah. Moving on to the Cardiff match, uh, you were both at the game last night. Josh King managed to score. Uh, and I think we also had a, a chance of an equaliser. Was it Maro Formica, uh, Mr. Sitter, uh, at 2-1 down? But uh, I understand that we were well and truly beaten on, on the night. Yes, we were, <laughs> I'm afraid to say. Uh, I mean, yeah, again, right at the end, Cardiff ran away with it um, when we tired. Uh, yeah, this is a... Um, the theme of our season were simply not fit enough to last 90 minutes. Um, they scored two very neat, well-taken goals. Um, they just simply carved us apart. Um, there was only the only way to describe it. Um, before that, in the first half, I felt that um, you know we weren't bad, but then we certainly weren't any good. Um, Cardiff certainly shaded it. Um, and it was only a matter of time before one of those balls coming in from the wings um, eventually found a Cardiff head, and sure enough, it did on the 30th minute, and uh, we were a goal down. Um, I made it, it was the 35th minute before we had a really serious effort on goal, and that then brought about two corners. Um, I think all the way through the evening, I mean, the feeling which I got was... uh, 
four best players in the park were all Cardiff and the four worst players in the park were all Rovers. And we were just um, just not good enough. I mean, we have individual very good ball players. I mean, some of the touches um, displayed by players like Formica and Kazim Richards uh, when he came on were excellent. But I, I just can't for the life of me understand why Marcus Olsen started. Uh, I mean, we were much better when Kazim Richards was on the park. Um, and I have to say that Josh King took his goal beautifully. Um, I'd heard that Josh King uh, was very quick and very good player, but absolutely hopeless in front of goal. Yet um, the way he burst through the Cardiff defence and um, yeah, sorted out the keeper and slipped the ball through him was absolute coolness. So it was a brilliant goal. And at that point, I got the feel that we were going to be okay. But unfortunately, um, the, the two Cardiff goals really came from um, a, a situation. I mean, both situations um, we gave um, away uh, to them. I mean, the first one was um, uh, that um, bust up between Lowe and um, Bellamy, who was a uh, Bellamy was superb all night. Um, that led to the free kick. The free kick then led to them scoring. Um, and then the, the second goal, an absolutely ludicrous um, uh, ball back into our own area from well outside our area by one of our own players. I couldn't quite catch who it was who headed the ball back into the area. <laughs> it went straight into a Cardiff player, laid out wide, and Bellamy finishes. And of course, Bellamy always finishes those sort of goals. So, uh, I mean, we were architects of our own downfall, but all in all, um, you know, Cardiff just had far, far too much for us. Tommy? Yeah, um, I mean, I pretty much echo what Philip was saying. Um, you know, first off, um, we weren't that great, to be honest. Um, you know, we, we tried, um, but um, what I couldn't fathom was what the game plan was yesterday. Uh, up until the Millwall game, uh, you could see what the game plan was. You know, when, when Ricino was playing, uh, he was playing behind Rhodes, and the, the plan was to try and get the ball to him as much as possible and then use his creativity to try and open up defences. And the passing, the movement was good. Um, open. Even, even during the Millwall game, we lost it, but uh, the game plan was quite clear. Uh, since then, all of that has been chucked in the bin, it looks like. And now we look like a team not knowing what to do, um, and you know, in the first half, we we offered no threat. Um, you know, we, we pushed and we pushed, but uh, we didn't create many chances. I, I can't remember a shot on goal in in the first half. Uh, we were passing the ball fairly nicely, I suppose, but it wasn't going anywhere. Uh, I, I've mentioned mentioned this in 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 on the part, on the on the message board. The transition of play from back to front is far too slow. So, because we take so much time to get the ball forward, teams can put two banks of four and organise themselves, and and uh, and that makes it for us for us very difficult to 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 break them down. Uh, and if, on the converse, if you look at uh, what Cardiff were doing, they had a game plan which was uh, to. Uh, 
defend high up the pitch, close us down in midfield and then hit us on the break. And, and you know, Craig Bellamy was awesome last night. His running, his movement was a top-notch all game. So, you know, we didn't have a game plan. So in the first half, uh, Cardiff, for me, deservedly went 1-0 up, one, you know, uh, in a half-time one-up. Uh, we hadn't offered any real threat. We played some pretty football, but uh, we hadn't got anywhere. Uh, second half, um, you know, Kazim Richards came on and he completely turned the game uh, for me. Uh, his physical presence and running around and, and industry uh, seemed to, you know, cause Cardiff problems. Uh, um, you know, even before the goal, he put a good ball through for Jordan Rhodes, which he just couldn't latch on to. Uh, then we got the equaliser. Again, it was Kazim Richards who got the ball. He took it down, he turned, and then he played an absolutely superb ball uh, on to King, who rushed into the box and, uh, like Philip said, calmly tucked it past the keeper. I think then we had straight from there because Richards had a chance uh, inside the area, which he he you know he took a shot, it deflected and just went past the post. Uh, and then it was from one of our attacks that Kadi, uh, Cardiff uh, hit us on the break, uh, and and you know Bellamy expertly finished. Um, and then even then we were pushing forward. Uh, you know again Kazim Richards getting the ball. You know causing problems. His movement was was giving them a lot of problems. Uh, absolute sitter, as you said, when uh, to for, for Mika, ball came to the box, there was a bit of a scramble. It landed at the back post. Uh, the keeper was, you know, not not in the picture and he was about eight yards out and for some somehow he managed to scoop the ball onto the put onto the bar. It was harder to do that than it was to actually score. So, you know, we could have got two all and that might have changed the game. But then after that, uh, we were a bit flat, really. Uh, Cardiff made some good changes and then hit us with, with two goals uh, in the last sort of 10 minutes. Um, and uh, it was mainly down to uh, um, the third goal and the fourth goal. Dan, Scott Dan was at fault. He got turned far too easily and fourth goal, uh, he gave away possession and, and, and they went and got it. So all in all, uh, it was a bit of a, a farce, to be honest. Uh, and I, I came away from that game fairly concerned uh, in terms of what what direction Henning is trying to go in. Uh, prior to that, I could see up to a Millwall game what game plan was and and you know you could say, oh, well, that, that could work. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I could see what he's trying to do here. But uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, since that game, uh, that it looks like what we were trying to do up until Millwall uh, has been chucked in the bin, and we're trying something completely different, which at the moment isn't working. Uh, and uh, I would hazard to say the defeat yesterday probably now means uh, automatic promotion is going is we can kiss goodbye to that really uh, the points gap, particularly if Crystal Palace win today or Leicester win today, uh, that'll you know, put us 12, 13 points off second. Uh, and I think that's going to be too much uh, to, to turn around. So our best hope now is to try and get into that top six and um, you know go up via the playoffs. But even that at the moment looks uh, a long, long way off. You know, we're, not, we're not one of the better sides. We might have one of the better squads, but we're definitely not one of the, the, the better sides uh, in terms of of this championship and you know we're just going to have to start to accept that fact that uh, that we could be in for a, an extended stay in in the championship because uh, can, can we can, sorry if I can come in 
it, I mean, you do realise we could go down to 16th uh, if the results don't go go for us today. I mean, I'm looking at it this way, that we've got 25 games to get 21 points to get to safety. And, you know, uh, we've uh, from the last seven games, we've taken six points, so that could be a close-run thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know... I, just... I, I mean, people will say, oh, there's Philip being uh, pessimistic again. But quite honestly, I look at this side and it has no spine. You know, uh, um, it's got absolutely no backbone whatsoever. Uh, and the only thing which you can say is in the middle of the park, you've got Etuhu, who um, I, I, I may be being unfair here, but to my eyes, he, 50% of his passes were going astray. And the passes which didn't go astray were, pay, were, were playing our players into trouble because he seems to pass the ball through treacle. For some reason, the ball goes slowly from him. Um, you know, I, and uh, I, I just feel that because we're so weak in the midfield, it means that we've got to, we've, we've got to populate midfield because we've got no, no commanding presence there. That means we can't have any, any presence on the wing, which means that uh, we do have fast players, but they're not able to run into places where they can really hurt people with their pace. Uh, and, and everything flows from the fact that we've got zero in the middle of the park. Then at the back, I mean, quite honestly, um, desperately want to see Givet back um, because um, I don't think that, uh, you know, for, for all the heroics at Turf Moor, I really don't think that uh, Dan and Hanley uh, really cut the mustard. And, um, you know, I feel really sorry for Jordan Rhodes because, um, you know, to my way of thinking, you build a team around a player like that. The guy has limitations, but he does something which very few people can, which is you put him in front of goal, he hits target. And more often than not, um, it, it's going past the keeper, not at the keeper. So, you know, I, I really feel very, very depressed this morning. I, I think that uh, poor old Henningberg has just got an impossible job because uh, something went unbelievably wrong this summer. Uh, in in the transfer market, and basically um, all everything got wasted apart from uh, buying um, our, our friend uh, Jordan Rhodes. Uh, what on earth all the other uh, signings were about? I haven't got the first clue, other than uh, having some uh, pretty uncomfortable feelings about uh, why they're all Portuguese and uh, some of the things which have come out of Ewood, uh, which I'm not going to put on air. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking at. Uh uh, one or two issues in the forthcoming podcast, I hope, uh, particularly uh, looking at Henningberg's uh, backroom team. We may have some movements uh, in the coming days on that score. Uh, just to round up this section, uh, the attendance was uh, barely uh, over 12,000. Um, no, the, it wasn't. I mean, I didn't believe that number for a moment. The official I mean, that, attendance, that shall we say. That was that was that was sub ten thousand last night. Really? I'll, be, I'll be very interested to hear what the health and safety people counted, but that you know, that did not look like a, a, even a ten thousand crowd. Mm. If there were twelve thousand there, then uh, then I must be you know must have been seeing something different because there were whole swathes of empty seats. I took I put a picture on Twitter in the Jack Walker upper, even the Blackman and the lower tier, which is normally full. 
uh, to the left-hand side, empty. near the Jack Walker <laughs> side. It was empty, you know, big empty spaces. Same in the top tier, big empty spaces in the Riverside uh, near the Darwin End side. So, uh, and Cardiff only bought seven hundred and eighty odd fans. I read somewhere. So, and, and that looked like that, that's how much they bought. So, there's no way that there were twelve thousand at Ewood Park yesterday. Uh, I think what they do is they. Even if season ticket holders don't turn up, they lump them in 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 the attendance figure. So so the the basis is always right. We sold this many season tickets, so they lump them in. But there were no way twelve thousand at Ewood Park yesterday. Yeah, and uh, the declining attendance uh, is rather a, a concern, um, and it's perhaps reflecting uh, the the general feeling around the club. We're going to move on to the accounts now, uh, because this is something that uh, concerns everyone very deeply. Uh, we had uh, the uh, Lancashire Telegraph leading on Thursday with a brief account of the accounts, uh, indicating that we were uh, in the black. But uh, if we could bring in Philip here to give us his view of the accounts and his interpretation of what those figures mean... Um, would you like to lead us off, uh, Philip? And uh, Cammy, uh, feel free to ask the the sensible questions. I, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll try and keep quiet here when uh, when figures come up. Okay. Well, look. I mean, the first thing which I'd say is that uh, we don't have one set of accounts. We've got two sets of accounts because a few um, a couple of weeks ago, Venkis London Limited finally. Um, issued their much, much delayed accounts. And this is rather like uh, trying to make sense of Manchester United, that you have um, an absent owner. Uh, you then have a parent company in the UK. In the case of Manchester United, it's Red Football. And in the case of Black and Rovers, it's Venkis London Limited. And then you actually have the football club itself. And you really cannot make sense of the accounts without reading both sets of accounts. So if I may, I'll start on the Venkis London Limited accounts. These um, are made up for a very strange period. They're made up from the 13th of October 2010 when the company was formed. And they go to the 31st of March 2012, which is just about as long as they're allowed to legally. Uh, of course, that means that we have in a nutshell, um, up to the 31st of March, the entire life of Rovers under Venkis. So there are some striking numbers um, which are worth sharing there. Um, first of all, the operating loss for that period. So we're talking about a period of 16 months when Venkis had actually owned Rovers. So in 16 months, um, Rovers, because that's all in Venkis London Limited, Rovers lost £19.6 million in operations. Now, if we put that in context, um, under the trust, the operating losses were typically a few million. So the operating losses accelerated dramatically um, under the uh, custodianship, if that's the term, of um, our Indian owners. Then the next figure which is, should be looked at is in that period, the net profit 
on the sale of players. So that is sales, uh, less purchases, was £20.4 million. The net cash generated on trading players is £20.9 million. So in other words, we've got a situation where um, the operating operations of the club totally fell apart. Uh, losses mounted to a horrific le- level. And that was funded by selling our players. So the co- incompetence of the owners was uh, paid for by basically selling off the backbone of our playing staff. And surprise, surprise, never mind the uh, problems of having Steve Keane there as the manager. Surprise, surprise, we went down. And those things really just stand out so starkly. Um, The most worrying aspect, though, is there has to be a discussion because the situation is looking so dire about whether uh, Venkis London Limited will continue. And there is the following, um, uh, which appears in, in the account. It says that significant funding will be needed in addition to the current available facilities. In other words, their um, forecast cash requirements for 2014 are effectively unfunded. And they're saying that there is a gap net of anticipated proceeds, and proceeds means sales of yet more players, and bank facilities available. And then the payoff, which has probably been extracted on pain of an even heavier qualification than the accounts already have, is that Venkis Hatcheries, or VH, which is the parent, has sufficient funds as may be required. So in other words, VH have not um, absolutely pledged to help Rovers. It just says that they have enough funds as may be required in order to uh, avoid uh, Venkis London Limited uh, becoming illiquid and um, not being able to meet its uh, debts as they fall due. Now, that then um, underlines the point that actually the Venkis London Limited accounts are qualified. And there's an extraordinary juxtaposition. In the director's report signed by Mrs. Desai herself personally, Um, She confirms that herself and all the directors have provided all the information necessary to the auditors. Right. That's on one page. The next page, the auditors say the management has been unable to provide evidence (laughs) to support our audit opinion. And in particular, with regards to a three point four million pounds unlisted investment made by Venkis London Limited. Now, whether that £3.4 million is the cost of buying Gary Neville's house or uh, it's what they're spending on uh, Venkis Express uh, in the UK um, or it's something else, you know, obviously we guess because the, the auditors are saying they cannot uh, attest it. They've not been provided with any evidence, as, you know, even as to what on earth it is. It's listed as an unlisted investment in the notes of the account. So it doesn't appear in the fixed assets. Um, so it's anybody guess what that 3.4 million is, but um, there is a qualified opinion. And to be perfectly honest, um, 
I'm thinking my gut feel, and I mean, having been an auditor in the past, um, when you get to a qualified, first of all, there's a big fight over whether you have a qualified opinion or not. Then the auditors put the foot down and say, yeah, it's qualified opinion. Then there's a big fight over what the qualified opinion actually says. And this just has the feel as um, the least worst um, opinion qualification that uh, all sides could uh, come up with. Um, I, I suspect that um, the auditor's first draft would have been rather more draconian uh, than what has actually ended up by way of the uh, qualified opinion. So that's Venki's London Limited. Can I, and as I say, can I just yeah, uh, sure. interrupt there? So the operating loss is nineteen million pounds. Uh, where, where on earth does that come from? Uh, is it uh, in any way a, a legacy issue? Uh, not as far as I can see. I mean, uh, to be honest, the accounts are not the most informative. It just looks like straight operations. So um, they just haven't been running a tight ship. And, you know, we know that uh, things like agents fees went through the roof um, when um, uh, the control of the club um, passed to uh, Venkis. And uh, I think it's just total incompetence. They just don't know what they're doing. So, um if you want to move on to the Rovers accounts, uh, so these are two separate sets of accounts, yeah? Two different yeah. entities. Now, yeah. Well, no, the Rovers, I mean, basically, there's nothing much in Venkis London Limited apart from Blackburn Rovers Football Club. That's why I'm saying you've got to read the two lots together. So Venkis London Limited uh, produced a consolidated set of accounts, which include effectively Rovers numbers. I see. Now, technically speaking, they're not required to do that. But if you remember that Venkis London Limited became within an ace of uh, being compulsorily wound up yeah. um, and Rovers becoming effectively a property of the UK, uh, of the of the government treasury or, or Her Majesty the Queen. Um, but they, find, they, 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 they finally woke up to the fact that they hadn't actually uh, filed the paperwork which they were supposed to. Um, and um, so Venkis London Limited is a consolidated set of accounts, which means that it's Blackburn Rovers plus Venkis London Limited, which, yeah, when you think about it, Venkis London Limited is just simply uh, a body which exists to own the shares of Blackburn Rovers. Therefore, the Venkis London Limited accounts are all, to all intents and purposes, Blackburn Rovers for the period from when Venkis took over to the 31st of March uh, 2012. Okay. Now, Blabber, yeah, Blabber and Rovers on their own um, have issued their reports for the financial year to the 30th of June 2012. So the Blackburn Rovers accounts cover the period from the 1st of July 2011 to the 30th of June 2012. So it's a different period to the period covered by Venky London Limited. Now, they show... Uh, a record for the club, a record lo operating loss of £9.6 million. And uh, a very, very worrying wages to turnover ratio of 92.2%. In the um, area of what they call pure operations, so that is sort of managing the stadium, etc., etc., those costs have increased by £1.9 million. And in her commentary, Karen Silk, 
blames that increase in 1.9 million pounds on, would you believe it, the supporter protests, which I think is a very cheap and unnecessary hit. Um, and, um, you know, the supporters had absolutely every right to protest at the gross mismanagement which was going on. And I think that uh, that really is a, a disgraceful uh, comment by Karen Silk. Um, is, what's yep. the actual wording for that? Yeah, the, the exact wording is other operating costs increased by £1.9 million, with the largest increase relating to stewarding and policing costs as a result of supporter protests. So that, that's, um, yeah. yeah, I see. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And what about other issues? Well, uh, look, well, as I say, the, the wage uh, turnover ratio is horrific at 92.2%. Um, what is visible um, is that the net cash expended on operations has grown from 3.9 million to 9.7 million. That's just simply a cash effect. Because when you've got accounts which, frankly, are as opaque as these are, compared with the trust, which made things as understandable as they possibly could, these accounts are designed to be um, as hidden as they possibly can. The degree of information which they're giving us is very, very limited. So, for instance, you can't really pick out the bones of what is going on in terms of um, the, the player trading account to the extent you could um, under the trust, where they really broke everything out on, on their player trading note. Um, the other thing is that there's no line which says agent costs. And I rather suspect looking at these numbers and comparing them with what was publicized as being the actual costs of players, that we are looking at uh, agent fees being capitalized, i.e. being put onto the balance sheet alongside with the payments for the players. And so that is a suspicion. I'm not... Uh, not absolutely clear that's the case, but the, 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 it's, not, it, it's not really explained what's going on in that regard. Um, so you simply look at the the, um, uh, the, the cash position, as I say, uh, that shows um, this sudden leap in the cash spent on operations. And equally, uh, you need to look at the uh, position on the players. And whilst the um, profit which the club arrives out of four million pounds is after um, what is a profit on the trading account of 14 million pounds on the players. The reality is that there's a 22.9 million pound profit on sale of players. Because remember that um, when you're looking at these things in accounting terms, um, the profit of 14 point million is a net profit. Uh, against um, original transfer costs net of amortization. So this is it's an accounting number rather than a real number. Um, the 22.9 million profit on sale of players is a, is a slightly more real number. Um, so yeah, we are looking at uh, something in the region of 20 million has been generated as a surplus um, um, over the period since Venkis turned up on the sale of players. Now, when, when, when Venkis arrived, I'm sure what, the, uh, what they told the Walker Trust was not that they were going to make a 20 million pound profit on selling our players, you know, and we know what was said, um, at the time that Venkis arrived, 
in terms of the public announcements. Yeah, we were expecting £5 million of investment each window. We were uh, being told that um, they were going to bring in young players and um, that there were going to be this leasing model and all the rest of it. Well, I mean, absolutely nothing of that other type has come to pass. Uh, what's just happened is that they've uh, raised £20 million surplus. That has been used to pay off Barclays Bank. And then a completely new loan has popped up uh, in the long-term uh, uh, debt figure uh, of another 21 million, um, there is still um, 16 million of uh, liability, current liabilities in the accounts. The net current liabilities um, have not been wiped out. They've gone down from 29 to 7.6. Uh, so we still have 7.6 million net current liabilities. Um, the reason why the net current liabilities were so high last year was because Barclays were in effect exiting and therefore the entire Barclays loan had practically become payable on demand. So, um, you know, we're really uh, we've sold off the, 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 the crown jewels in terms of our players. Uh, and from a, a debt standpoint, we've got nowhere. <laughs> and this is at June uh, the 30th. 2012. Yes, Since yes. June the 30th, 2012, we got a little note in the post balance sheet events that um, they spent £6.8 million pounds, um, on new transfers. They spent £1.1 million pounds on fixed assets. I mean, that actually is very good news because it means that they're investing to try and get EPP category one for Brockhall. So, you know, there's immediately £7.9 million uh, going on top of the existing um, uh, debt of um, £21 million long-term plus net current liabilities of 7.6. Um, then you've got to add in the losses which are happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And here, again, you've got a, um, a contradiction going on in that uh, Karen Silt says that um, Yes, the existing players um, paid for it, paid for the relegation by having the relegation clauses in their contracts activated, and so therefore their wages went down. But we do know that that massive influx of new players who came in, quite a lot of those are coming on very high wages indeed. Um, and so uh, we're hearing figures of not less than one million and probably something over two million being the loss each month that goes by whilst we're sitting in the championship and almost certainly our wages to turnover ratio is well over 100%, probably about 150% or maybe more at the moment. So, um, you know, the debt situation, uh, you immediately add on, let's say, uh, 8 million uh, for the post balance sheet events which are in the, um, uh, in the accounts, then, I don't know, say 2 million a month, so that's another 24 million. So 32 million on to 21, that's 53 million plus the short-term debt. The overdraft, by the way, has not disappeared. The overdraft was 4 million uh, at the 30th of June. So add that on to the number 58 million. So yeah, the, the gut feel for the debt figure, 30th of June 2013, um, 60 million. Philip, so... Yeah. I know a lot of fans will be asking about this because we, we'll just read it in broad terms. So, you know, the the income that came into the club last year, 
the TV rights or the you know the, it was forty odd million pounds or something that yeah. came from prize money you know the Premier League. So this June, obviously, that forty million figure is going to be maybe five million. Let let's be optimistic. No, no, it's sixteen, sixteen. All right, so sixteen million because of the parachute. All right, because of the parachute. So let let's say that that figure is sixteen, seventeen million. So there's yeah. twenty three million pound shortfall come this this June. Now, if we haven't been promoted, am I right in saying? Because of the club's operating costs, they haven't been reduced. You know, we're still running at the similar kind of operating costs as we were as a Premier League club. Am I right in saying that the owners will have to find this £23 million shortfall? Oh, without doubt. I mean, well, there's, well, there's nowhere else to come from other than, if you remember in the Venkis London Limited account, that that core that that wording which they said um that significant funding is needed in addition to the currently available facilities mm-hmm. so you know in a, they're they're basically saying that they're going to have to be net proceeds i.e more net sales of players plus the existing bank facilities whatever they are in india plus more money from from venkis themselves so and and yeah you know, the you know, the Venkis London accounts fell that out. So what we're saying is that they would have to, you know, basically provide a heck of a lot of, you know, what we talk what in terms of figures. Let's just say we're not we haven't gone up in May and come thirtieth of June when the accounts. How much money would they have to provide for us to carry on running the club the way it's currently being run in terms of expenditure? Well, I mean, you're, you, I mean, now you're getting into the areas of, of absolutely horrifying numbers. Because let's let's assume we close um, this current season at sixty million in debt. Then uh, the debt's gone up from twenty to sixty this year. Um, why wouldn't it go up by another forty next year, which would take us to a hundred million? Right. And what would happen if? They say that we don't, we can't provide this money in terms of what's the options available to the club. Should Venkis say, right, we've had enough, uh, we can't, we, this level of funding we can't provide? What what would happen in terms of what could the the people at the club, i.e. the finance directors, etc., do to? Well, well, I mean, the the most obvious thing is you've got to sort out the players' wages, and that would mean. Um, <sighs> Well, I mean, the great difficulty you have is what on earth are you going to do with people like Etahu and, and Murphy? I mean, the, there's no way you can cut those costs because they were signed on long-term contracts and very, very expensive wages. Yes, Jordan Rhodes could be sold. Yeah. I personally don't think that he would necessarily raise uh, be sold for more than $8 million. Uh, you know, I think we played the going rate for a championship striker and you know, as things stand, the way Rovers are playing, we're showing to the world what Jordan, Jordan Rose's limitations are because we're playing to his limitations. We're not playing to his strengths. Um, but let's, you know, so you maybe get 10 million for Jordan Rhodes. Uh, the other players, I don't know. I mean, Martin Olsen would, would probably go for five, six million. Jason Lowe would probably go for quite a few million because after all, he's captain of the England under 21s. Um, but, you know, uh, you'd effectively just strip out the entire current squad uh, 
and then go around looking for low wage freebies. Right. So, so in terms of, I know a lot of people are worried that if the club didn't go up this year, that they, it could fold in terms of administration, etc. From your, yeah, I know we're talking hypothetical here, but from your experience and your know-how, how likely is that? Well, it really comes down to who's in charge. If Karen Silk's in charge, I would say that um, the club wouldn't fold. Uh, almost certainly we'd get relegated next season, but it wouldn't fold. We'd, we'd, we'd completely cut our, col- our cloth to, to meet our purposes. However, or by all uh, repute, um, Chevy doesn't know how to save a penny. Um, you know, he himself is on a very handsome wage, I mean, which will be exposed in the 2013 accounts because although he's not a director, the highest paid employer employee has to be uh, reported on. Um, and also, uh, thank goodness the brothers don't come over very often because apparently uh, when they do, their costs are more expensive than a, than a single match's um, gate money. Um, so, um, you know, it really comes down to who's running the show. And um, we've no idea who's running the show. And on the converse, if a miracle happened and we did get up this year, what would what would that mean in terms of the finance? Well, well, I mean, I mean, if the miracle happened, then it's get out of jail free, because next season. Um, the new Premier League um, media contract with Sky and all the overseas uh, TV stations comes into play. And uh, I think the minimum uh, income for a Premier League club next season is going to be something like 100 million. Um, So, you know, all this nonsense um, which has gone on this season is bailed out by going up. It does mean that the... um, playoff final this year yeah it goes up from a hundred million pound football match to a football match for 250 million or something like that it's a huge amount of money which a quarter of a billion on uh, resting on the outcome of one single football match yeah that that's what we you know (laughs) if the very best happens and Henning manages to turn around this mess which we've got and we get into the playoff final you know that's what we're playing for quarter of a billion pounds and if we did go up and this money came into the club, would that mean money, would that generate an excess or will it just about cover costs? Well, no, it would generate an excess. But then you've got to think about um, you've got well-established, well-funded, well-founded Premier League clubs, which are going to be going out and spending that money. Whereas for us, it will be a standstill. Because we've got we've got the history to sort out, right? So you know uh, the prospect of Rovers staying in the Premier League um, if we went up would be I would think zero, um, because you look I mean look at that squad at the moment. Yes, we've got some good youngsters, but I mean, you know are these players who who on their own are going to keep Black Rovers in the Premier League? I, I don't see it for a moment. We would need to re to probably bring in five or six top quality players to have any chance of of, of even staying up. <laughs> if Exactly. You know, and, and you know, bang, <laughs> there goes a chunk of your hundred million. I'm not you know, because you know, transfer fees are gonna uh 
accelerate again because all the Premier League clubs have got all this money. Wages will probably go for another twist upwards. Yeah. So yeah, oh, yeah. The play and it happens with every media contract. When the money coming into clubs goes up, the player wages by default go up. You know, because that absolutely without the players, the Premier League doesn't have a product. Yeah. I mean, there's another absolute killer lurking in the long grass in in the champ in the championship which is that financial fair play is coming in you know that actually um if financial fair play comes in as it is currently structured then we're going to be forced never mind whether venkis want to or not we're going to be forced to strip out all these high high paid wage earners because quite simply our income does not cover our ability to pay anymore. Because remember, financial fair play relates income, not uh, shareholders' gifts, um, to how much you can spend. And in that, there is one very, very worrying number. And that's um, our turnover has dropped um, uh, from 2011 to 2012, from 57 million to 54 million. Now, yes, 1.4 million of that reduction is because we've finished lower in the league uh, and so we got far less in the way of prize money. But our commercial income dropped from 9.5 million to 7.6. The commercial number is critical in terms of our ability to, um, to, to pay what we might want to pay under financial fair play. You know, if you remember not long ago, our commercial income was almost 12 million under the trust which everybody said the trusts were useless at commercial activities. You know, they were at 12 million and now we're at 7.6. And that's in the Premier League. We were at 7.6. Be, I'd be surprised if it's 1 million, considering looking at what the commercial activities at the club that are going on at the moment. I know. I mean, it, you, you, you know, so, so yeah, again, it comes down to absolute gross mismanagement. And the, the, you know, this is entirely on Venki's patch. You remember all everything they were telling us about what they were going to do for us commercially and how that we were going to be India's Premier League football club and all the rest of it? Well, I mean, the result is that we've just gone backwards at a remarkable rate of knots. No, I agree. And so basically, just to wrap up on, on this section, Philip, thanks really much, you know, a lot for, for providing the analysis. So realistically what we're looking at at the end of this season is a promotion and everything's okay in terms of going forward not getting promoted promotion and relegation to look forward to yeah we're not getting promoted and quite honestly relegation to look forward to from this division down to the next one should the owners pony up with whatever finances needed to keep the club in the way it is which you know they may well do I mean, if they are going to, then what they've written in the Venkis London Limited accounts would have been, let's say, more resilient. They would they would have said they would have found words to really avoid me um, saying what I've just said about um, the uh, the going concern uh, discussion, which is in the Venkis London Limited accounts. Right. Oh, the one other thing which I would just say um, to give you an indication that uh, 
it's not been plain sailing in terms of what has happened uh, in the preparation of these accounts. The combined audit fees for Rovers and Venkis London Limited are £165,000. If you remember, Rovers used to be audited for about £30,000. So what, what, sorry, Philip, what, what does that mean in terms of? It means that the auditors have had very long discussions and the auditors have undoubtedly had to bring in their accounting experts in the centre of KPMG to look at these accounts and see whether they're safe uh, to be put out. And, you know, I, 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 I suspect that KPMG have uh, really sweated um, before they've allowed these accounts to go out in the form that they are. And if you remember um, the Paul Hunt letter, one of the many points which Paul Hunt raised um, with Mrs. Desai back in December 2011 was last year's accounts uh, very nearly got qualified. You know, they, they, and the, the auditors were on the point of issuing a qualified account, uh, accounts even then. Uh, well, you know, now we have got a qualified account, admittedly on something rather ob obscure. Um, but I, I, I think there's a clear pointer here that the auditors are massively worried about what's going on at Black Rivers. Well, thank you ever so much for your um, detailed uh, rundown of the accounts uh, at uh, Venkis London Limited and also uh, the Rovers accounts. Um, I'm sure that on the message board there'll be uh, some reaction and further discussion of these points. The accounts themselves will be published via Companies House uh, very shortly, I believe, Philip, is that right? Yeah, well, we there will be an annual general meeting. I, I haven't heard when the annual general meeting is called. Um, that is when uh, all the minority shareholders turn up. Um, interestingly, um, because Rovers have done their annual return, um, there is a comprehensive list of all the minority shareholders uh, lodged at Companies House. Um, if you remember, when Rovers were bought out, there was an offer document issued, and, and that was what we used to analyse what had happened. Uh, an offer document was issued to the minority shareholders, inviting them to sell. Now, legally, Venkis could have forced the minority shareholders to sell, um, but for some reason they didn't. So that's why they're now having to go through this, this uh, process of um, issuing the, the annual accounts to the minority shareholders, which then immediately got into the hands of the evening, uh, so oh, the Lancashire Telegraph and people like myself. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, the minority shareholders are there and thank goodness they are, because it means that there is some element of the community uh, having an overview of what's going on at Rovers. Interestingly, amongst the minority shareholders, Blackburn with Darwin Council is the largest of them. And uh, that might have been uh, a contributory factor to uh, Venkis not deciding to force the minority shareholders out. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's good. Uh, well, thank you ever so much. I wish I could tell you I could tell you better news. I really wish, uh, but um, yeah, this is this is looking awful. It mm. really does. I, I I think Rovers are totally hemmed in every which way you look. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Well, if we just turn to uh, other issues, uh, upcoming matches, uh, we were drawn at home to Bristol City in the FA Cup third round. Uh, we'll be playing them at home down at Ewood, January 5th, 6th. Uh, we've got Blackpool away coming up uh, next Saturday, uh, and that's followed by Brighton at home. Then we've got a rather busy uh, Christmas New Year's period, uh, starting with uh, Middlesbrough away on Boxing Day, and then we're away to Barnsley on uh, Saturday the 29th, uh, and before we uh, get uh, our home game uh, in the uh, uh, Christmas New Year's period against uh, Nottingham Forest on Tuesday the 1st of January. And how many points are we going to get from those fixtures? Well, uh, looking at it on the bright side, um, you know, if we can uh, just keep on to the, the, the tailcoats of the, uh, uh, the top six, uh, we'll, be doing, we'll be doing okay. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the concerns over relegation this, uh, this season um, uh, shouldn't, be, uh, shouldn't be overplayed. We're, uh, we're, we're well ahead of the bottom three and they're looking extremely poor. Uh, so uh, if we do have to stay for uh, another season in the championship uh, and rebuild, then so be it. Um, as, as you suggest, Philip, uh, uh, on the accounting side, it's, uh, it's obviously not, uh, not, not favourable to be hanging around in the championship for, for, for too long. Certainly not beyond uh, the second year when we've still got uh, parachute payments. But uh, uh, if we can just hang on in there. Uh, for for another season uh, and uh, rebuild. The only thing that gives me hope is Reading were in a very very similar position to what we were uh, last season, and suddenly things clicked for them, and they went on this mega run, and and, and that's the only thing I'm clinging on to. I know it's a for long hope, but there have been precedents in this league where teams have be nowhere near promotion at Christmas and then they've gone on a run that's seen them fly up the table and got some momentum. Now, it doesn't look like we're anywhere near doing that but uh, this is a very weird league full of very average sides by the most part. So it is possible to go on a run uh, such as what Reading did last year and other teams have done in previous years. Blackpool did it the year they went up uh, uh, via the playoffs. So it's all about momentum and, and we need to start building some momentum starting with Blackpool uh, next week. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, Rovers under under Kenny and uh, under Graham Souness uh, were in not too dissimilar positions when uh, when they when they took over and uh, they pulled us round. Um, yeah, I I think uh, as long as long as we can uh, pull you know pull ourselves together, get our acts together on on the pitch uh, in the in the uh, next three four weeks, um, we will still be in with a chance. But uh, long long term wise, we just need to get ourselves sorted out, and hopefully Henning Bird can be uh, given the backing that he needs and, and get his backroom team together once you know settle that once and for all. Uh, hopefully you'll have some news on that uh, uh, next week or so, Cammy, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, without saying too much, there are things happening in the background uh, over the last uh, few, you know, since sort of Wednesday, Thursday, 
Um, I think Henning is going to be under some pressure internally because his minimum and maximum requirement was promotion. So, so you know, that's what Shebby said, and obviously it's not looking good at the moment. So, uh, I think things might come to an head one way or the other uh, over the next few days in terms of you know what what happens next and whether there's some kind of restructure of what's happening in the background. Yeah. Um, some news in brief. Um, we've now got a, a sponsor for the for the old Riverside um, RFC Finance. Uh, there was some rumour when uh, when this was um, f- first uh, found out that it may be a Dubai-based uh, company. It turns out they're based down in Swindon, and uh, it's actually a Rovers fan uh, who who runs RFC Finance. Uh, so, uh, long last, we've got uh, uh, RFC Finance as a sponsor for the Riverside. Uh, there's uh, perhaps uh, signs that we're also be that we'll also be getting a sponsor for uh, the, uh, the the shirts. Uh, we'll maybe have news uh, of that uh, soon. Do you think, Cammy? Uh, I would hold my breath. Right. Days. Paul Agnew said we're getting close, but um, um, I wouldn't hold my breath. Right, I won't do. And uh, we've had sightings of the BRFCS uh, flag. Um, it was on on the telly. Apparently, people saw it. Um, it's good good news. Fantastic uh, by Ben, I think it was, who's uh, who managed to place it. Right in a prominent position uh, behind the Darwin end goal. Uh, whenever you know there was any coverage of that side of the pitch, our flag was uh, prominently displayed. So, so well done to Ben. Good stuff. And finally, um, there's a rather uh, disturbing thread that's that was started by Abby uh, <laughs> about uh, Cammy the superhero. What on earth is that about? I don't know. Abby's in love with me. That's uh, life's good. I think that's all. <laughs> no, uh, what it was just completely bizarre. Uh, his train had broken down, and he he was tweeting that it was cold and dark, and and it was it was absolutely freezing that day. I just happened to be on the train uh, behind him, uh, and and we were stuck for about half an hour as well uh, while they tried to fix Abby's train, which they couldn't do, and then. I think it was our train driver announced that uh, what we'd be doing is uh, we're we're going to the rescue of this uh, train that's broken down in front of us and we'll be towing it home. So so I I tweeted to Abby, <laughs> um, uh, home fire, we're we're coming to rescue you. And and lo and behold, when I got home, I saw this thread. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely crazy. Great, great. I'm surprised he didn't uh, ju- jump across from one train to the other to uh, give you a good hug. Yeah, well, this, yeah, I was expecting it, but uh, maybe next time. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Good, good, good. Right. Well, um, that's uh, all we have time for today. Um, Podcast 50. It's uh, quite a milestone um, over the last uh, year and a half. And uh, just like to say a, a big thank you to Philip for coming on and uh, uh, discussing the accounts with us. Thank you, Philip. Uh, not at all. Uh, so I wish it were much better news than it is, but it's. Uh, I, I, I can't tell you. It's just very depressing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Keep your chin up. 
And Cammy, right. yeah, yeah. And Cammy, thanks ever so much. Yeah, like likewise. You know, it's disappointing at the moment, but um, we've just got to stick together, everyone, and 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 hope that you know, we that on the pitch at least things can be turned around. Um, you know, so it's. I know it's desperate after yesterday, and people are feeling disappointed. You know, we're all the same, but we've all just got to stick together, really, and and hope that you know Henning or you know players or whatever can turn things around. Yeah. yeah. The the only other thing before we finish, uh, when is uh, Shebby Singh uh, will be at Radio Lancashire uh, this coming week uh, for a supporters uh, Q and A. Um, session um, and Andy Bays um, so I did a, a, a thread on our um, on our on our message board. So just to remind that there'll be a supporters Q and A this coming Wednesday, which is twelfth of December, uh, starting at six pm. And he's asked that if people are interested in coming, and there's no restrictions in terms of they're not going to handpick people. It's just first come first serve. If you are interested, then please email LancashireSport at bbc.co.uk. That's LancashireSport at bbc.co.uk with your name and a contact telephone number and how many tickets you'd like. Um, and it's a 6 p.m. start. You'll need to be there by half five, quarter to six, and they'll let you know whether you've been successful. And, and you know, he's told me that he wants to ensure that as many people as possible can can get in so that it's a good lively discussion for an hour or so and you know you know and they'll they'll let people ask within reason people ask whatever questions they want yeah good uh, there's a, a thread up on the message board uh, so if uh, if you need to uh, uh, get the address for that again uh, just go on to the message board all right well thank you uh, very much and uh, everyone out there thanks for listening uh, we'll be back soon. And uh, in the meantime, uh, do take care wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.